Hello and welcome again to the Promonition podcast with an AI on the future, Andrew Weaver here, and a brief introduction to today's guest, which I'm uh, very pleased to say is Richard Tromans, particularly pleased because Richard and I did try and do this before Christmas and uh, some technical gremlins got in the way of that first attempt. So very good of Richard to join us again. Richard is the founder of the Artificial Lawyer blog. Uh, he's also a law firm strategy and innovation consultant with Tromans Consulting and describes himself as a legal industrialist. But if you, you're probably already aware of Artificial Lawyer, if you're not, you should be. Uh, Richard is a prolific blogger and tweeter about all things uh, AI, uh, automation, and essentially what the modern landscape is becoming, should become, and how it will impact on the legal world. And that's essentially what we were looking at talking about. Although uh, Richard actually wrote an article on the morning of this recording that was personally interesting to me because it was asking the question of why all this legal tech kit and innovation is coming through. We're all very excited to hear about what it is and who's doing it. But there's an important question of why. Why are all these different products coming into the market or why should they be coming into the market? And uh, I was interested in Richard just embellishing a little the article that he'd written that very morning. So without further ado, I give you Richard Tromans. So Richard Tromans, welcome. It's uh, Monday the 29th of uh, January. I'm, gonna, I'm referring to that day because I'm going to refer directly to an article on your uh, blog today. But Richard, hello again. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you again for joining us. And as I mentioned in the intro, we did try this once before, but uh, the gremlins affected the sound quality. So thank you very much for joining us. I know you're absolutely flat out for reasons we might go into briefly later on. But whilst we were going to have a very headline conversation, Richard, about uh, what we can expect in 2018 within the world of legal AI and automation, etc., I'm actually going to pick up on an article that I saw on your blog today, which was related to a question not often asked in the, in the sexy world of legal tech. And that's why. Why are people doing all this stuff? We know the who, we know the what, we get a feeling of where it's all going. But flesh out the article that you wrote today, Richard, about, about that particular issue. Um, in a nutshell, why does legal tech, automation, artificial intelligence and so forth, why does it matter? Why are we so concerned about it? And I guess different people have different reasons. Some people are perhaps worried about their jobs. Some people are worried about the profitability of their law firm. Others are worried about the incessant headlines about AI and having to deal with reality of trying to make even incremental change inside a law firm or an in-house legal team. And those are all totally valid. Um, but I think there's a bigger why, a bigger question, and that is, you know, what is the end goal of all of this? And um, for me, the end goal is justice, because that is what the legal market, the legal sector, lawyers, courts, etc., all exist for. People want justice. People want justice uh, personally. They want justice for the businesses that they own and invest in or work for uh, or employed by. And this is the fundamental issue. I mean, people who are outside of the legal world do not think in terms of law and lawyers and courts. They think about things in terms of fairness, what is right and wrong. They say, I have been cheated. I want justice. Or I believe that I am owed something. Or I have an inalienable right and I'm not receiving that right. They want justice. And, you know, we've been working with lawyers for many centuries, uh, millennia. And, you know, that's been good up to a point. And now there's this new wave of technology. And that's tremendously exciting. 
But fundamentally, none of it really matters unless it is delivering justice uh, on a societal level, because that's what we're all here for, isn't it? I mean, if, if we're excited about legal technology because it makes a couple of people rich or it shaves off 1%, you know, from the bills of in-house legal departments that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars, I don't see the point. We might as well pack up and go home. Uh, it's just not a good enough reason to get out of bed in the morning. You know, there, there has to be a bigger reason. There has to be a better why. And I, to me, that better why is access to justice. And I don't just mean in terms of, you know, a refugee, you know, seeking asylum. I mean, right across the piece from the poorest person on earth to the richest corporations on the planet. I mean, there, there are access to, to justice issues all the way up. I mean, for example, imagine if you're a shareholder. You know, imagine if just simply you have an insurance policy or a pension. Some of that money is going into corporates who are then not really doing very much to manage how their internal lawyers are spending that money. And, you know, and I've said it on record many times and to other people in conversation, I do believe that the in-house legal teams, excluding the new legal operations executives who are doing fantastic work like Clock, the, the traditional internal legal departments, I believe, are doing a terrible job of spending money on external legal services. And they have the buying power and they have access to all kinds of things internally and they are not really putting pressure in the right way they're not analyzing their law firms they're not analyzing the legal spend they're just not doing what they could do and there's a whole raft of tools which are coming out and i can understand why they can't keep up most of even even legal technologists can't keep up with the almost daily announcements i mean today there's been two announcements of two new applications tomorrow there'll be two more how do you keep up? Totally understand. But something needs to change. And, you know, these, and it all play, it all comes together. It all comes together because it offers a chance to improve the legal system for the good of all. And how, how do you think, well, I'm going to pick up on two things then, um, Richard. One is very close to my heart, and it's one of the reasons I got involved in legal tech. But there's a, there's a statement within your blog today about 70, well, approximately 70% of SMEs, uh, and, I, and I know this to be true through research I've done separately, um, don't use lawyers. They'll sweep things under the carpet. They will do everything they can to avoid using a lawyer. Lots of reasons, cost being an obvious one, but also fear of where cases go. You know, the, the, it's such a kind of um, uh, time warp that, that, that people go in. There's so much asymmetric information in using a lawyer and using legal services where you just don't know where it's going to go fear and cost and all of those kind of things put people off but i'm slightly concerned at the moment about whether any of these people at the on the ground level are actually getting the impact getting any real impact about all this legal tech stuff is the trickle down happening if you think it is where and if you think it isn't how can we accelerate it getting to the people who perhaps need it the most um i think it's patchy but i do see i do i do see room for some hope mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are some great things going on in the US, for example. There's a lot of effort being made there um, to support uh, legal bots that will provide <clears throat> uh, some at least basic support for people who would qualify for legal aid. Um, there's some great work going on there. Uh, you've got people like Joshua Browder. Uh, I mean, you know, he, if anything, he has really made people aware of what you can do. You know, you not solving complete legal problems, but solving elements of legal problems and saying, you know, 
come on guys, you know, <laughs> you do not have to be so inefficient. There are ways through this. Um, but the, the, the simple answer is, is that the average man or woman on the street, the legal world remains incredibly complicated and understandably the legal tech companies like AI companies that are coming onto the market now, you know, they have to make a living. So they have to go where they're going to get money, where they've got a compelling business case. So they focus on things like M&A due diligence, which is of not much interest to the average person. But that's where initially they will get, you know, some income. That's where they'll, they'll get started. Um, you know, if you run an expert system company, um, again, you know, where's the, where's the money to be generated, you know, in the commercial legal space? So at the moment, and it's probably true to say as well, that not just in the commercial legal space of lawyers, but it's that in itself is split because you've got the commercial legal space of lawyers in private practice. And then you've got the commercial lawyers who are working inside corporates. Most of the AI companies that I've seen at any rate are working primarily uh, in conjunction with the law firms. They're not working with the corporates. Most of them do some work with the corporates, but then that raises another question is why? Because most of the AI companies I talk to, if you said, hey, would you like to go and work with BP or Barclays or Morgan Stanley? They'd say, yeah, they'd bite your arm off. But they're not all being asked. And why is that? Probably because the top table has got other things to worry about and the in-house legal team um, doesn't want to rock the boat, likes things as they are. Um, Likes seem to remain inefficient, as you as you've highlighted before. Well, it's, it's not. It's not. They don't. They don't wake up in the morning and rub their hands with glee and say, "Yippee! How can I make this more wasteful, yeah. more time-consuming, more painful for the shareholders of this company that employs me?" They don't. Obviously, no one does that. You need to be a maniac to think that. But unconsciously and you know implicitly, that's that's what they're allowing to happen. Mm. You know, it's like it's like an aristocracy. You know, the aristocracy didn't wake up in the morning and go, "How can I terrorise the peasants this morning?" Right. You know, how can I exploit the the current socioeconomic um, status quo for my own benefit? It just was as it was. You know, the sun came up in the morning. They were sitting in their palaces out there with the peasants, and uh, you know, they were pretty happy with the way things were looking. Um, of course, then the people got got wise to it and chopped their heads off. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know where this analogy is going now. I, 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 it's, um... I, I think it is a revolution. It's a slow, slow, slow revolution. If you can, it's, if, 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 that may be an oxymoron. If, I'm not sure if you can have a slow revolution. Yeah. Maybe a slow revolution is an evolution. But, you know, things are changing and things have to change. Because fundamentally, why, why is anyone doing any of this? You know, even something as what now actually is relatively mainstream, uh, using natural language processing to conduct uh, a M&A due diligence exercise because you have a ton of documents. The amount of documents grows every year relatively. It makes sense to use this. Uh, why does it make sense to use this? It only makes sense to use this because open-ended, high-cost hourly rates to do that work don't make any sense. Oh. But again, but why? Because it all sounds kind of natural when we're talking about it. And, you know, the average person on the street would say, yeah, of course, it's obvious, isn't it? Mm. But until very recently, until like mm, 18 months ago, it wasn't an issue, really. It was just something the general counsel kind of go, hmm, I wish there was a better way of doing this. But there isn't. So it doesn't matter. Let's carry on. Yeah. You know, it's, and I think this is the fundamental thing. And I think we're only, only really just starting to grasp it, really. 
you know, the, these bigger issues. You know, what is it all about? What, why are we doing this? You know, um, and also we get distracted and also rightly distracted. I mean, there's a ton of people who work inside law firms and there's a few who are very vocal and quite rightly so who get incredibly angry and annoyed about all the talk about all these AI systems and all these, you know, whatever it is, because they just look at their law firm and they think, Jesus, can we just get on with this? Can we actually just make some real changes internally? Can we improve the processes in a really substantive way? And, you know, some of them are making great, uh, great inroads internally. And, you know, and that that draws the debate in that direction. Then you'll talk to some senior equity partners and they'll just be like, well, I'm glad I'm getting out of this. I'm going to be retired soon. I don't particularly want to pay much attention. You know, and you, you know it's you've got this mass of different issues. And then you've got the whole ethics and law, you know, AI for good crew. Who, again, you know, all totally valid. But it's all just drawing us away from, you know, the central issues, mm-hmm. you know. Which is why on earth are we doing all of this? What is it? What is the societal benefit? What is the economic benefit of all of this? No, no, completely agree. And I think we all get a bit lost in that when we're thinking of all these new wonderful products to be putting on the market. And and uh, you know, my particular passion is is you know increased transparency, getting those people on at the, at the lower level of the of the consumer line, I guess, the SMEs, the individual purchasers of products, and, and, and allowing them to get the benefits of some of this uh, technology that's coming down. And as you say, of course, the AI companies are going to want to work with the people that pay the bills. But, but you know, hopefully there's an acceleration towards uh, the, the, the man or the woman on the street or the smaller business. Um, Richard, I'm, I'm very aware that you are um, engaging with the, the Legal Tech uh, event in New York. Uh, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But can I, can I just move us on a little bit then to, to just more generally in 2018... We've bedded down the new year. We've all got ourselves over the Australian flu, or I have anyway. What, what do you think is going to happen this year, talking of the next stages of, of the evolution of AI and automation? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, well, it's multiple things. One, we're going to see more collaborations, as we've seen today. Uh, for example, Kira and NetDocuments. NetDocuments is a DMS. Kira is an AI doc review system mm-hmm. working together. IBM Watson working together with Thomson Reuters to create a tool, uh, a Q&A tool for data privacy, a kind of expert system, kind of expert system, research system uh, using machine learning. Um, but a combination, I, I think that is the way to go. I, um, I don't think any single individual tech company has got all the answers. And I think we're going to have to see a lot more cooperation and coordination yep. and yep. sort of AI, different types of AI system and different types of process automation system put together i think another thing as well in you know you know have to you know, agree with them that you know there has to be a greater focus on process on awareness of legal data of understanding how the bits connect and actually trying to get real outcomes um, I, I think there is a genuine risk that people do a pilot with an ai system and then it just sits you know it just sits there um, i get the same experience and I, I've, I've noted the same experience as a, as a strategy consultant, you know, which is my day job, as, as you know, at tromansconsulting.com, uh, where I'm advising law firms on you know, a variety of issues. And, you know, in the past, not while working at Tromans Consulting, obviously, but in the past at previous consultancies I've worked at, I, you know, there were cases where uh, a strategy document would be drawn up, everyone would vote it in, and almost nothing would be done. 
because the reality between buying in uh, some consultants who provide you with a beautiful strategy document and actually executing it in a way that changes your behavior mm-hmm. as an organization are two radically different things. And that that really is, to some degree, you know, where we are now with legal eye technology. Now, I'm not saying there, not every firm is like that. I don't believe that for a minute. I've met many firms who are doing fantastic work who are using AI systems in multiple practice areas, they're using expert systems, they're using different types of document automation, they've got internal process people and innovation people who are doing all kinds of great work. You know, joining it all up, bringing in the lawyers, even, you know, senior partner level, getting everyone integrated into this and, you know, driving it forward. And there's some great examples out there. There's also a whole bunch of firms who are who have just done pilots and there's no real innovation going on inside the sort of business change team internally they're probably tinkering with a bit of document automation but and it, it's kind of not really having a big impact you know um and that that needs to be addressed and i really hope that 28 will see that change mm-hmm. i hope that the, the good news stories the good examples will act as a benchmark for everyone else to follow mm-hmm. and, and, and just a quick last question actually because i saw it on your twitter feed actually the 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 legal tech start uh, incubators that have emerged over the last year or two i mean are you seeing are you seeing some great potential coming out of those yeah yeah i think initially i and everybody else we were a little bit and like the firms who actually hosted them were a little bit um unsure what would, what would happen but yeah. i think the proof is in the pudding i've done two extensive um interview pieces one with alan overy one with mish gondorea who did two very successful uh, incubators and it's been tremendous it really has been tremendous it's a win-win because the startups get to learn what the lawyers really want and what their clients want and the lawyers really start to think more laterally and pragmatically about what is there they stop i think hopefully stop seeing tech as like this thing that you buy that, you know, that is delivered to you in a box that you plug in maybe it's useful maybe it's not mm. and seeing it as just you know something that you can integrate into the way that you're working it becomes more organic and so i it's i think it has been tremendously good i mean it's interesting to see that mishcon has now brought a couple of clients into the mix who will both be sponsoring um part of the incubator and also getting involved with a bit of mentoring which is tremendously good for everyone again because then the lawyers the client and the tech companies all start to see that their interests are aligned and can work more efficiently together. And I think that's a great move because I think one of the great, as go back to my previous point, the greatest risk to all of this, this new wave of legal tech, as I call it, the greatest risk is that people just see it as a bunch of stuff in a catalogue that they buy. They buy it in, you know, but, you, know you, you know, you probably used to, you remember, I don't know, don't hold you up, but, you know, um, in the 80s, you used to get these catalogues pushed through the door full of like uh, fitness machines and stuff that could make waffles or bread or all this kind of stuff. These really cool things. And, you know, sometimes you buy them. I guess it's, I guess, I guess it's been replaced by the shopping channel now on TV and you'd buy these things and you'd use them once and they'd kind of be okay, but you wouldn't really, you couldn't really see the case for using it on a regular basis. And it would go back into the kitchen cupboard and it would stay there forever. And then eventually it would get thrown out you know, taken to a charity shop. And I think that that is the biggest risk. Right? It's very, very, very biggest risk. Um, you know, and certainly some of the AI companies I've got to know, you know, they've got a fantastic track record. You know, nearly every, if not all of their clients are using it in a regular way. There are others that are not. 
you know, and I think that is that is the thing. Real use, real use, and real use is only going to happen when all the different parts of the firm and the clients are aligned. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can have an innovation team that's brilliant, but if the lawyers aren't buying it, it makes no difference. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, you can have a bunch of lawyers who are really up for it, but if if it's support mechanism, it's IT people, it's innovation people, it's process management people have no real, you know, desire to help, it's going to die. Yeah. Well, that's why that's why the most interesting feedback there, it, it, certainly with the Mishcoms one, is the engagement with all, you know, quite a wide variety of stakeholders, not least the lawyers themselves. I and mean, that. That, that's really pleasing to hear, isn't it? Absolutely. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, again, it goes back to a very, very original point, justice. How do we get justice? We get justice by engaging with lawyers. Mm-hmm. How do lawyers succeed? Lawyers succeed by engaging with everything at their means possible to deliver that service to the clients. Yep. So yeah. if the lawyers disengage from the potential benefits of technology, then nothing's really ever going to change. It's just going to be noise and headlines and a few pilots here and there and some very frustrated innovation people jumping up and down at the back of the, of the, of the law firm. Yeah, you know, yeah. well, which the, is, those, you those know. innovation people have been jumping up and down frustratedly for many years, I suspect. But perhaps there's, there's a sea change going on in terms of engagement. I think there is. I think yeah. there is. But it, it's very, it, like, like all parts of the law firm, of, of the legal market, is, it's highly unconsolidated and it's highly non-uniform. Um, you know, you, you could walk down you know, a major street in the city full of different law firms and the experience of legal technology in each of those different law firms, it would be radically different, radically, radically different. And the attitudes and the types of technology they're using would all be very, 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 very different. Yeah. Um, they'll all be using document management systems, billing systems, all of the sort of day-to-day mundane stuff, uh, which doesn't really have any strategic impact. But when we look at the sort of more interesting stuff, the technology that actually performs work, AI systems, automation, so forth, then we are in a different we are in a different scenario, and it's very. And I I think perhaps the simplest way of putting it is, despite all the headlines, despite us actually having ridden up the hype curve and actually now coming down the other side of it already, in terms of AI and other technology, you know, um, it's very very early days. It really is. I mean, for me, I always use the analogy of the personal computer. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's like 1977, 1978 max. You know, I think that's about as far as we've got. Yeah. You know, people. It's. I mean, you know, the we're at the PC, the personal computer stage of when people were still screwing, um, you know, circuits onto blocks of wood. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Richard, you keep referring to these these decades that, that I'm sure the millennials have no relationship with at all, which I think is giving away your age and mine because I remember the 70s and 80s in very much the same way. Um, Richard, I'm gonna. Thank you very much indeed. I'm conscious of the time we've taken up from, from your day, and I know you're engaging with New York and the legal tech uh, event over there. Um, Artificial Lawyer Blog is the, is the blog, frankly, that I go to first for any information and news about this kind of stuff. Your, your, um, the amount of uh, content you put onto that site is phenomenal, Richard. I don't, know, I don't know where you find the time, to be honest. Kind of uh, I, I usually I get up about five thirty. <laughs> that's one. That's that's one way of doing it. Yeah. Well, it's admirable and it's a, it's an impressive blog. So anybody who wants any more information, uh, sign up to Artificial Lawyer Blog. I'm also slightly uh, mesmerised by the um, the video on your Twitter feed, which is showing me a, a combination of beef and lettuce. Uh, Richard, um, I was prefer I prefer to have had a, a visual on the avocado on toast 
Um, yeah, I, I will. I would. I will try and rectify that and get some avocado on toast images up as well. Well, if you want to know what that's all about, it's about collaboration and how different things go together. And uh, and uh, two plus two equals five. Richard, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Take all, care. All the best. Bye bye.